Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, we want to come before you today with humble hearts. We pray that we would uh, truly be able to understand your word, to live it out in our lives and our families. And we just pray that we will be open to your instruction in this way. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A British pastor observed that family is dying in England. And uh, he's an old pastor, and he gave this illustration about how in England, when people introduce themselves these days, they usually go up to one another and they say, Hello, I am John, right? Hello, I'm Andrew. And we do the same things, right? Hello, I'm Tom or Tim or whatever. And, uh, but he said, you know, who are you really? Who are you really? Who are you a son of? Who are you a daughter of? Where is your family? What is your family? What is your community? And he said that in the olden days, okay, in the past, uh, people would actually introduce themselves by their surname because you identify by your family, by your relationships, by your village where you came from. So I was thinking to myself, that's probably why when you watch the movies, it's always, my name is Bond, James Bond, right? Because, in the, in the, I guess in the past, that's how they, they saw themselves. They didn't see themselves as individuals. They didn't see themselves as defined by what they do, what interests they had, or where they live. But they saw themselves more than that as in relationships. Now, it's interesting because in the Bible, it actually says that family is really important. Relationships within family are a sign of God's order in this world. And it's really surprising because when you look at some of the passages, when you break down the family, it's actually seen as, seen as a very major sin. So if you look at Romans chapter 1, which is just up here, got many slides, right? So you have to follow what I'm saying. Notice what it says when it talks about Romans chapter 1, God giving people over over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. In verse 39, 29, sorry, they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. And what sort of evil, greed and depravity and wickedness do they have? They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. So, the breakdown of family life is actually seen as God giving people over to a depraved mind. Very interesting. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, it uh, says a very similar thing. We know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the holy and irreligious, for those who kill or beat their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. Again, those who seem to beat their parents or disobey their parents or uh, do not respect their parents are, are lumped in together with slave traders, perverts and adulterers and murderers. Very strong language. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is up here, same idea. In the last days, there will be terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and holy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, and so on and so forth. Now, how different it is from society? Because if you were to go down to Next or Highland Mall, and you would ask people to write down a list of really bad, sinful, wicked things in the world, they might talk about murderers or adulterers or rapers or slave traders, but I, I think it would be very highly unlikely that anybody would say that being disobedient to your parents is one of the marks of lawlessness. But that's what it seems to be saying in this passage, because in Romans chapter 1 and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, in times of apostasy, in times of great ungodliness, in times of lawlessness, disobedience to parents is a very severe sin. It's classed up there with murderers and adulterers. So before we even begin, I think the Bible wants to say that family is important. Family matters. So as a Christian, how do you treat your family? How do you value your family? How do you uh, take seriously your family? So today we're going to look at the role of family and how we live out our lives as Christians within family. But two uh, things I want to note. First of all, this is not the Andrew Ong Guide to Family Life. Hopefully this is the Bible's Guide to Family Life. And you need to look at what I've 
drawn out here the Bible passages, and I hope that you can look at it in context and see whether it's faithful or not. And the second thing is, even though we're doing a study on the book of Proverbs, the rest of the Bible has lots of things to say about family life, so I'll be drawing from a lot of passages, not just Proverbs. So within family, there are children and there are parents. Okay? No pets. Children, parents. And each of them need to play a role in their relationship. So the first uh, people I'm going to look at, if you look in your outlines, is children. So what must children do? Children must obey their parents. So we've already seen from these passages that if you do not obey your parents, it is seen as a sign of lawlessness and apostasy and rejecting God. So the positive thing is, the New Testament, if you look up here, says that children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, as Christian children, you need to obey your parents, uh, not because you feel like it, or not because you are convinced of it, but because it is the right thing to do. It is something that pleases God. It is the order of relationships that God has made in the world. So, as a child, the question that uh, I want to ask you is, do you have an attitude of obeying your parents or being disobedient? Are you rude or are you respectful to your parents? Are you submissive or are you rebellious? Now, the question that people want to ask is, what does it mean to obey your parents in everything? What does it mean when the Bible says obey your parents in everything? It doesn't mean that you have blind obedience or uncontrolled or unguarded obedience so that your parents tell you to do anything and it goes against what God says that you should do it. Because there is a hierarchy. So you obey the Lord and within obeying the Lord you obey your parents. You cannot make your parents God. So your obedience to God flows over to your obedience to your parents. So I think what's actually in view here is when it says obey your parents in everything, it doesn't mean everything to the the exclusion of listening to God. But what it means is that children are to have an obedient attitude. It's all about attitude and outlook in life. You must have the mindset of obeying your parents. You mustn't be like a lawyer arguing with your parents saying, well, you know, there's this category of life that I really don't want to obey you on, uh, but I'll obey you in other sections. Okay, That's not the way the Bible looks at it. So in terms of attitude, do you obey your parents or are you, like in the book of Proverbs chapter 30, are you, mock, do you, are you someone that mocks your father or scorns obedience to your mother? Because there's a very different attitude. There's one attitude which is quick to obey the parents and another attitude which wants to mock the father and scorn the mother's teaching. That means instead of being obedient and submissive to it, it wants to actually make fun of it and looks down upon it. So which one are you? Now, obviously we want to follow an example of Jesus. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, the next slide, tells us this story, right, in the book of Luke, of how when Jesus was a little boy, uh, he was in the temple and he didn't follow his parents home. Okay? Now, it's not the same as being left in the, the supermarket, alright? Because there was a reason why he was in the temple. So his parents came to look for him and they were anxiously searching for him. And Jesus said, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Now Jesus didn't go up to his parents and say, Hey, you guys don't have the full story, you know, because I am the Son of God and I can see all things. I needed to be in the temple. No. Even though his parents didn't understand what he was saying to them, he was still obedient to them. So remember, you know, people used to wear those um, things around their wristbands or whatever, which used to say, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Now, what would Jesus do in a family life situation? He was obedient to his parents. He listened to his parents, not because they were smarter than him, or they had greater insight into what God's will was, but because he was their child. So he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the second point is that you should obey your parents because it is for your benefit, it is for your good. So if you look up here on this slide, uh, go back again. Oh, it's actually, uh, go back one more slide. It says there that you should obey so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. 
Now, obviously, not everybody who listens to his parents will enjoy a long life, but generally speaking, listening to your parents is a wise thing to do because the Bible says that it will be for your good, for your benefit. Now, the book of Proverbs, okay, if you go back to Proverbs, um, yeah, oh, no, next one. Okay, if you look at the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, right, it says, my son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Okay, this was read to us, right? Bind them upon your neck forever, fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they'll watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp, and this teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way of life, keeping you from the immoral woman, or from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. So it's good to listen to your parents. Good things happen, right? Okay? Keeps you from the adulteress, keeps you from the moral person. Chapter 5, next slide, says a similar thing. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Now, it's very clear here from the New Testament and the Old Testament that obeying and listening to parents is good because it protects you from harm. Now, why is it parents are able to impart good things to children? Well, in the book of Proverbs, the refrain is often that young people are naive, are simple. Okay, so if you're a young person, the book of Proverbs sees you as a simple person. Now, that's not a slight on you as a person, but that's just the way life is, right? So, Proverbs chapter 7, Right, it talks about uh, the young man, and uh, the wise man is looking out the window of his house, and he looks through the lattice or like curtain sort of thing, right? And he saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment, and he was wandering at night near where the immoral woman was, and he was going to be uh, seduced by this adulteress. Now there are three three terms which describe this woman. Oh, sorry, this woman. Sorry, this young man, right? Simple, and he lacks judgment, and plus he's young of age. The simple literally means someone who is inexperienced and naive. Okay, and young people generally are inexperienced. They are naive about the dangers of life. Uh, they also lack judgment. They, have, they don't have a discernment. They don't have discernment in the sense of they do not have the strategies to know what's right and wrong in this world. I think that in the real world, the reality is that's true. Young people are inexperienced, they are naive, and they don't know the dangers of life. So, if, if you're a young person and you go and uh, get your driving license and you want to buy insurance for your car, you notice that the insurance company will always charge you more than an older person. Why is that? Is it because you earn more money? No. It is because they know that young people generally have more accidents than older people. Right? That's why they charge you more. And you never see older people do stupid things, right? You, do you ever see an older person get drunk and then get tattoos? No, right? Uh, do you ever see a young person uh, put on his Facebook that he's planking on a balcony? No, right? You don't see that sort of things Because older people generally know the dangers of life and you do not do these, these things. But I was reading a newspaper article where children nowadays are maturing at a younger and younger age because they're exposed to the internet, they expose all these adult things. And generally young people feel that they want to assert their individualism, their rights, their independence. And they, they feel that they know more than their parents, right? Because obviously they know how to work their smartphone better than their parents. They know how to navigate through the computer and internet better than their parents. So they think, well, maybe I have more wisdom than my parents. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, my father, uh, even though he's a non-Christian, uh, told me when I was younger, you know, there would be a time where you think you're smarter than me, or you'll know better than me. And I think that happened when I was about 16 years old. About 16, I felt that I knew everything, and uh, my father didn't need to teach me anything because I knew everything already. But then by the time I was 21, I realized that there were actually many things that I didn't know, and there were things that I could learn from him still. So as a young person, are you listening to your parents? Are you obeying your parents? 
for your good, for your benefit. Now how much more, if you can learn things from your non-Christian parents, that you can learn from your Christian parents? Because your Christian parents are not just teaching you ethics or morality or wisdom in this life, but they're teaching you Christian doctrine, Christian truth, how to apply it. Now I want you to look very carefully at uh, Proverbs chapter 6 again. Next slide. You notice here that in the Proverbs chapter 6, it describes the father's commands and the mother's teachings. Right? The father's commands and the father's teachings. And how is it described? Bind them around your neck forever. Fasten them around your neck. Does that literally mean that as a child, you need to write down what your parents say and put it around your neck? No, it looks pretty ridiculous. It says there that my commands are like a lamp and my teaching is like a light. So, you know, do you need to put your, fa- your parents' instructions and like put it in a torchlight? No, right? But it's actually a reflection of what other parts of the Bible says about God's Word. So, look carefully, okay, how the father and the mother's instructions are described. Lamp, bind them on the neck and everything. Okay, next slide. Okay, next slide. So in Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. So the parents here are not teaching their own wisdom, their own ideas on life, but they are, they are teaching the child God's words. And that's why the father's teachings are like a light and a lamp. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, it says a very similar thing. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. A very similar idea. So the instructions that God gives, you are to bind on your, your, your body so you can always remember them. And that's the same thing as what Christian parents are teaching you. So you need to listen to your Christian parents. Now, I know a real story of a pastor and he has five children. And four of those children today are either in full-time Christian ministry or married to people in full-time Christian ministry. But one of those children struggles with drug addiction and has not had a job. Why is that? Why is it four children turned out well and one didn't? Because that one child chose not to listen to their parents and not to obey their parents. Now, if you have Christian parents and they're teaching you the right thing, they are teaching you how to apply the Christian life, then all the more you need to obey and listen what your Christian parents are telling you. Now, Christian parents, sorry, Christian parents will be teaching their children the right thing, but for some of us, we are not parents, and some of us are not children, right? We are, we're neither here nor there. Okay? You're not a parent, and you're not a child. But all of us used to be children, but we're now grown up. So now that we are grown up, how do we treat our parents? How do we treat our parents when we're grown up? Well, all of us grow up at some point in time, we get married, some of us, or we start working, we become 18 or 21. Now, we do not always obey our parents, but we must honour our parents. So, Matthew chapter 15, this is what it says up here. Right? Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now, what it means is that children, when you grow up, you do not obey your parents in the same way anymore. I hope that when you are 25 or 30, that you have minds of your own and are able to make decisions of your own because it will be a really sad reflection of your, 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 you know, you're growing up. If you cannot make up your mind, we are an adult. But when you grow up, it means that our relationship with God doesn't end, sorry, our relationship with our parents doesn't end, but we must continue to honour our parents. And how do we honour them? We care for them and we love them. If we do not care and love our parents when we grow up, 
It means that we do not honor them. Now, in 1 Timothy 5, it says the same thing, right? 1 Timothy chapter 5. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should first learn, they should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So I want to ask you, for those of you who've grown up, unless you are born genetically, you know, as some in vitro thing, and you've never known your parents, all of us have parents. But as we've grown up, we must still value them, we must still honor them, we must still take care of them, and we must still love them. Now my boss, uh, who was my boss before at, uh, when I was working in a computer company, studied in California, and you recall the conversation he overheard in the bus once when he was traveling to university. And across from him were these two old ladies who were sitting there. And one old lady was telling the other one how she was overjoyed because she hadn't seen her son for the longest time, but her son had sent her a birthday card for her birthday. And the other woman, the other old lady said she had never heard from her son in years. Now this is not the behavior of people who are in Christ or in the Lord. If you are in the Lord, if you are going to do the right thing by God, you must honor your parents even when you grow up. You must keep loving them, you must keep caring for them. You don't have to obey them in everything, right? because you are now grown up, but you must still honor them by taking care and loving them. We mustn't be like uh, some of the people that I heard of when I went to the funeral last week, I was conducting the funeral, uh, the funeral director said that there are people who actually put their parents, their Asian parents, in the old folks' home and they purposely change their phone number and move their address so that no one can ever contact them again. And the, and the old folks are just left there and uh, the, the, the young people never go to visit them at all. Isn't that really sad? If you just leave your parents in old folks' home and you just disappear and never see them anymore because you've got better things to do in your life and that you're busier. This is not right for Christian people. This is not the right thing to do. So, for all of us, we've all got parents. We must honor them in the way that we treat them. We cannot neglect them. We cannot uh, just forget about them. We must honor them by taking care and loving them. Now, I don't see many parents here, but one day, hopefully, some of you will be parents. Parents have another role to play in family. And the first thing that parents must do is they must instruct, train, and discipline their children. Okay, so the next slide is here. It says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now hopefully, uh, if you are a child here, you might ask yourself, why do my parents discipline me? The answer is here. right? Because God tells parents to instruct, train, and discipline children. So instruction and training has an element of discipline. Now, it doesn't mean that you all have to have a, be beaten with the rod all the time. Okay, that's child abuse. That's like Michael Fay or something. Okay, it doesn't have to be brutal child abuse. But the reality is that training and instruction has an element of discipline. I'll explain why. Now, in today's society, we don't like this word discipline. Anybody like discipline? Put your hands. Nobody likes discipline, right? Because we feel that, well, you know, when we raise up children, we should just love them, we should appeal to them, we should reward them, we should model good behavior. Unfortunately, that doesn't work. Now, the Bible has a very different view of the humanistic view of the world, which says that everybody is born good. Right? We're all born good. It, it, we're all good people, but somewhere along the line, society you know, influence us the wrong way. But we're all born good. Now, that doesn't work that way because the Bible believes in original sin. We are all born bad. We're all sinful from the moment we are born because of the sin of Adam. And that's why we need a Savior in Jesus Christ. And that's why as parents, and hopefully as children, you understand why you need discipline. Now, here in the, in the book of Proverbs, it goes on to explain why 
we need discipline. Okay, next slide. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Now what it means is that actually deep inside each child, you, even me, we are all inclined towards folly, foolishness, sinfulness, wickedness, and we need parents, you know, when we were young, to guide us and to train us to do what's the right thing. And discipline plays a part in that training and instruction. See, I noticed that when I was teaching my children, I never te- needed to teach my children how to lie. Right? I never sort of sat them down and said, okay, this is how you do it. Okay? Yeah, and I, I, I once, maybe my wife taught them, but it's not me. Okay, just kidding, just kidding, okay. okay. But you see, it's like, you know, I never say, okay, this is what you do, you know, this is what really happened, but pretend something else happened and say it and really mean it. No, they're very convincing already, right? It's like, he did it! He did it! It's not me, he did it, right? And I never had to teach them how to be selfish, right? I'm sure we don't, you know, young people, last piece of cake, last siu mai, last pao, last chicken wing, right? You don't need to teach them, okay, be selfish, that's yours, you know, take it. You never teach them how to fight for things. It all comes very naturally. Because we are all sinful, the Bible says that the parent's role is to restrict and guide the child to do the right thing through discipline. So I I was reading this book again, How Good People Make Tough Choices. And uh, there was a survey done in the Girl Scouts in America. And interestingly enough, let me read this to you, right? They asked... Uh, the same question to different groups of people and they said, how many of you would cheat to pass an important exam? Only 21% of primary school children said they would in the Girl Scouts. 53% of secondary uh, school students said they would and 65% of JC students said they would. So you notice something there? More and more people, as they got older and older, were willing to cheat to pass. Maybe because of competition, who knows? So children, as they grow up, need those that boundary that discipline provides to teach them that they need to live the right and wise way. Now, why is it so important to have discipline? Uh, you don't have to beat your child with a cane. Right? You mean they're just different ways of instilling discipline? The reality is that when you have words without action, words without change of environment, things don't happen. So I was reading uh, another book called The Good Listener by a psychologist. He was saying how he used to scold his son all the time because his son used to come in with dirty shoes and tread all over the carpet. And he would keep saying to his son, do not come in with dirty shoes. But will his son listen? No. How did his son change? Well, one day he told his son, okay, son, if you come in with dirty shoes again, you have to clean the whole house and take out the garbage for a week, and you have to wash your shoes, and then you will lose these privileges. Immediately, his son never came in again with dirty shoes. Why? Because the words were backed up with change of environment, action, discipline. It's the same thing, isn't it? If you want to stop speeding on the roads, will you say, okay, if everybody goes only at 70 kilometers per hour, the one who goes the slowest, we will give you a reward. Would that stop, stop people speeding on the road? No, it won't, right? But if we say, okay, anybody who speeds gets fine, money, demerit points, and if you keep doing it, we'll empower your car. Will that stop speeding? Yes, it will. Because training and instruction together with discipline actually works. So as parents, you are told by the Bible to use discipline for your children. Now, the second thing we learn from the Bible is we must exercise the right discipline, not the wrong discipline. So, in Ephesians, up here, chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, the Bible doesn't say that we should abuse our children. No. It doesn't say uh, we should have the wrong discipline. No. 
It doesn't say they have no discipline. No, it says have the right discipline. Now, having the right discipline means that you cannot exasperate your children. Exasperate means frustrate them. Or literally, the word means drive them mad. Okay, you don't want to drive them mad. We don't want to embitter our children or make them disillusioned or so that they will not listen anymore. So, in order not to exasperate or embitter our children, the first thing is you must never discipline when you're angry. You must discipline for their good. So, I remember seeing a shopping, I was in the shopping mall the other day, and there was this woman smacking her child, and she was red in her face and she was trembling with anger. Have you ever seen that happen before? Uh, you ever see people being parents punishing their children and the parents are really emotional? Okay, that's wrong, isn't it? Because it is not for their good. It is you're disciplining them as an outlet for your anger. You're not disciplining them for their good. It's because you're angry. Right? So, if you are angry, if you are out of control, then you should not discipline your children. You should only discipline your children when it's for, your good, for their good and you know exactly why you're disciplining them. In the first place, you know, you just get them exasperated or it might lead to violence or child abuse. The second thing is that as a parent, you should never be inconsistent or temperamental. Now, inconsistent is where, you know, you come home one day and uh, you're in a good mood and you tell your son or daughter, get off the computer, right? Okay, don't get to play so many games. Then you go and cook dinner or have a shower. Then they're still on the computer. I told you not to use the computer anymore. Okay, get off the computer, but then they're still using it because they're... They haven't finished their, their World of Warcraft battle or whatever, right? And then finally dinner time comes and then you say, get off the computer now or else I'm going to, you know, do all this stuff. Then they finally get off the computer, okay? Tomorrow you come home and you had a bad day at work. Your promotion has been cut in half. You got a really bad appraisal. You lost your best customer. Your boss got angry at you. Uh, the car broke down. Uh, you know, who knows, your pen leaked in your pocket. And you come home, and you see your son or daughter playing the computer, and you say to them, get off the computer. And of course, as usual, the person thinks, okay, this is not very serious, right? I have till dinner time to keep playing. Then, because you're in a bad mood, you say, okay, no more computer games for you for three weeks. Right, because you didn't listen to me. Because that's inconsistent. And that just makes the child really exasperated. And bitter because one day I can play up to dinner time, then the next day, one morning and that's it. Now again, we should, should, cannot be inconsistent as well when we treat one child different from the other child. It cannot be that, you know, my favorite daughter here gets better treatment than, than the son or the son or the daughter. Then again, it makes the child exasperated or embittered. The third thing is we cannot embitter a child because we need to listen to exactly what happened. So, you know, like in the children's church, when things happen, we must always find out why something happened, you know? So, okay, yes, you hit him across the head with the car. Why did that happen? Oh, because he stabbed you with the pencil. Okay, that doesn't make sense now, right? Okay? Because if not, you get punished for things that didn't really happen and it makes you feel very embittered, very you know, exasperated. So, I remember I got punished when I was a child because uh, my sister fell down the stairs. Now, do I look like the sort of person who would push my sister down the stairs? <laughs> Well, of course I didn't, right? Actually, she slipped. She really slipped and she fell down the stairs herself. It wasn't my fault. I remember once I got scolded for putting things down the toilet bowl. But I don't remember doing that. I, I mean, it wasn't me who did this, but I still got punished for it. So that's, you know, it becomes, you feel very, when you feel punishment is unfair, then you don't actually learn from that discipline. You become more embittered. And you become more exasperated. So do not, uh, do not oppose punishment without hearing what really happened. Okay, for parents, again, do not be selfish. You do not own the child. The child is not your property where you do everything you want with them. The responsibility of Christian parents is to build character, to teach them the gospel, to bring values into their life. Children, every one of them, have their own hopes, their dreams, their interests, their own personality. And they are not your vehicle so that, you know, oh, I was a very lousy sportsman when I was young, so... Here's my chance to become a really good sportsman. I really want to become the Prime Minister of Singapore and I didn't become it. So, my son is going to become the Prime Minister of Singapore. See, it doesn't work that way, right? I remember my sister. My parents wanted her to become like the Martina Navratilova, Chris Everett of the... Or, or, uh, there was no Vanessa Williams then. 
you know, of, of, of the tennis world. And my sister got really frustrated and she said, I'm not going to play tennis anymore. Because if you keep imposing all your dreams and all your hopes on this child, instead of seeing your responsibility as building values and character and teaching them the gospel, then they can become very embittered and exasperated. And last of all, not to get your children exasperated and embittered, parents must have godly behavior. Because, you know, children, especially teenagers, they have a very sensitive, uh, I won't use the word BS, right, but hypocrite sensitivity, right? So if you say something, but you live something else, children know. And it's interesting because when you go to children's church, I notice that children actually model their parents' behavior. They will say things, and they're like, where did you learn how to say that? Must be the parents, right? They'll do things. It must be the parents who taught them these things, right? So, if the parent says, oh, going to church is very important, you must go to church, and then you uh, decide to organize swimming lessons on Sunday morning, or organize ballet lessons, or Chinese lessons, or maths lessons, or chemistry lessons, then you're saying one thing in your mouth, but you're actually modeling the church. It's not that important. If you say Bible reading is really important, but you... You never read your Bible yourself. Again, what you're saying is not modeled in your life. If you say prayer is very important, but no one sees you praying, then again, your actions are not the same as what you say. And all this is very exasperating because you want the child to do something that you are not doing yourself. Now, the next point, after exasperating and embittering the children, don't do that, is parents must bring up the child in the training and instruction of the Lord. That is the most important thing. It doesn't matter if your child becomes a CEO or a surgeon or Prime Minister of Singapore. The more important thing is, are they growing up saved in Jesus Christ? Not a moral person, not a good person, not an ethical person, but a Christian, a person saved and going to heaven. That is the most important thing. Because the problem is that for Christian parents, many of them are actually interested in the same things the rest of the world is, which is, Results, right? Money, status, prestige. So, uh, in my children's school, they have uh, uh, these prayer meetings which happen at the same time as the exams are happening. So, parents actually pray for their children. Uh, so, they pray that their minds are working well, calculators working well, you know, pencil doesn't break, things like that. So, but the, the thing is, Will, their, will these parents actually pray for three hours straight for their children instead? That they will pray that their children will really fear God and know the gospel and, and believe the gospel and live the gospel? Will they pray for three hours that their children will choose godly friends and not, not be influenced by bad influences? Will they be the salt and light of the world? So there's this pastor called Rico Tice who I heard him preach on another sermon. He was saying that he has got these nephews. I think he's a single person. And he's saying that whenever he meets his nephews, he never asks them what results they get in their exams. He will always ask them how they are studying. Are they paying attention in class? Are they being helpful in class? Do they help the poorer students in class? Do they study consistently? He never asks them what did you get in the end because for him, how you study is more important than what you got. So a principle... Uh, while son saying, so as a parent, you never say to your children, while you are living in my house, you will do what I say. He said, that's a, that's a really bad thing to say. Never say, while you're living in my house, you will do what I say. Because then the child will think, okay, once I get out of this house, I need to get out of this house because then I don't have to listen to what my parents are saying. Because if you instruct your child in the training and instruction of the Lord, oh, next one, the next slide, yep. Oh no, back again. Yeah, if you instruct the child in the training and instruction of the Lord, then what is God's house? Not these four walls, but the whole world. The whole world is God's house. And therefore the child, if he fears God and saves in Christ, should listen to your instruction because it is relevant wherever he lives, whether he's in this house or not. The second thing that you should never say is, during my time, Right? You know when some parents say, during my time we used to do things this way, you know this way. Because again, the child will think, well, it's not your time anymore, it's my time, so I don't need to listen to you. But if you are bringing your child up in this training and instruction of the Lord, 
understand God's time is all time. His rules, His his lessons, His instructions are relevant regardless whether it's 2050 or 1964. Right? It doesn't matter. So if you want to teach your child, teach them what really matters to be trained and instructed in the Lord. Now, the next point I want to make is children. Uh, next slide. Children are the parents' responsibility above everything else. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as part of the qualifications of a church leader, it says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Now, you notice in this uh, passage, the qualification of a church leader has nothing to say about how much the person earns, nothing to say about what job he or she has, it's got nothing to say what academic achievements this person has, but it's got everything to say about how good a parent this person is. Parenthood for a Christian man or woman is not an optional extra. So I was reading the Daily Mail and it said that 40% of British parents would prefer not to take their children with them on holiday because it spoils their fun and costs too much. Now, part of that sort of worldview is that we pass on our parenting to the state, the schools, or our mates. So who shapes your child's thinking? Who shapes and instructs and trains your child? Is it, do you expect the school to do it, the state to do it, or the mate to do it, or your grandparents? I was uh, flying from uh, Singapore to Sydney one day, and I sat next to this woman with her daughter. And I said, um, where are you going? I said, we're going to Australia for a holiday. And I said, oh, where's your husband and your other children? Oh, well, you know, we left them behind because my maid is leaving and uh, I want to re-establish my relationship with my daughter before she goes. And I was thinking, that's really weird. You need to go on holiday because your maid is leaving. Well, obviously it shows that you don't have a good relationship with your daughter to begin with. In fact, it shows that your relationship with your daughter is not as strong as hers to the maids. And interestingly enough, I've met little children who uh, speak with a Filipino accent. Right? And they can speak Tagalog. Why is that? Because they spend more time with the maid than with the parents. So, as parents, we cannot disqualify ourselves and say, okay, let somebody else teach our children because children need to be shaped and influenced and instructed and trained. See, the young person's mind is like a sponge, right? Whether you like it or not. So that's why they ban cigarette advertising, right? Because obviously cigarette advertising must work. If it wasn't effective, why ban it? And that's why they want to ban um, advertising for unhealthy food. So maybe no more McDonald's advertising. Who knows? But the main person who should be shaping the child's thinking is the parents, especially Christian parents. And what does it take? It takes time, time, and more time. You cannot have quality time without quantity time. You can't say to a child, oh, I want to have quality time with you now because quality time is not made. You must Quality time just happens within quantity time. So as parents, you have to choose Family versus career, family versus holiday, family versus friends. Because you know time is inelastic, they're only 24 hours and you can't stretch it out. So the CEO of uh, Daimler Chrysler, uh, you know Daimler Chrysler makes Mercedes-Benz, he quit his job. Oh sorry, he didn't quit his job. Sorry, wrong story. He actually quit his wife. Right? He, he stayed on as CEO and he left his wife and family. And why? Well, when he was asked by reporters, he said because... I could either choose to pour all my energies to become CEO of Daimler Chrysler or pour all my energies to become a family man. So I chose Daimler Chrysler. He obviously couldn't remember the vows he made when he got married and uh, he missed out on the Dads for Life campaign, right? But the reality is that family needs time and family must come before everything else if you are a parent. So a teacher again told us uh, this story, or no, a principal told us this story and said, when is the best time to bond with your teenager and to build up a relationship with your teenager? Well, when they are in primary school. 
then you go to primary school and then they say, when is the best time to bond and have a relationship with your primary school students? It is when they are toddlers. So, all your life, you're actually bonding and building a relationship with your children because if you don't have a relationship, it's very hard to re-establish a relationship with your children. So again, this principal shared this real story of how there was a student in secondary school and he was playing computer games. He was out of control. He was sleeping very late. He wasn't doing his homework. So the parents kept telling him, you cannot play, you cannot play, you cannot play. And they wouldn't listen. he wouldn't listen to the parents. So at the end, as a desperate measure, the parents turned off the modem and kept the modem. And the child, what did he do? He freaked out. He destroyed his computer, trashed his room, turned his bed over, turned his bedside table, turned his desk over, destroyed everything. And the principal said, why? Why, why did this happen? Because the parents left it too late to discipline and to train and to instruct their child. And his warning was, don't let that happen to you. So one last word is to fathers, right? Fathers. Uh, go back one slide. Oh, yep. Oh, no, go forward one slide, sorry. You notice that who has meant to instruct and discipline the children? It is fathers. Now, that's really different from the world we live in because we always think in the world that it's the mothers who discipline the children. But actually, in the, in the Bible's eyes, it is the father. Now, the world thinks that the father's role, or many fathers in the world think that their job, the family, is just to go out and to earn the bacon. And then they can come back and watch TV and play computer games or go play soccer or play golf, right? But actually, the Bible says that it is the father who is called to account for the behavior of their children. The father has a bigger role, I think, in terms of the discipline of the children than the mothers. And there was a study done by Christianity Today in America, and they wanted to find out who had a bigger influence on children growing up and becoming Christian and remaining Christian and staying in church. Is it when both families in the family, both the husband and wife, both go to church regularly? Or is it when the mother goes to church regularly? Or is it when the father goes to church regularly without the mother? And they found that actually the, the main wild card was the father. If the father went to church regularly and was a serious Christian, even if the mother didn't, they found that a more significant number of children, regardless of whether they were boys or girls, stayed in church and remained Christian when they grew up. Isn't that interesting? That it was the father had a, who had a bigger influence on whether the children remained Christian when they grew up, even the daughters. So I went to the library a while ago, and by mistake I picked up, I borrowed this book for black Americans. Uh, obviously I'm not a black American, but I, 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 I borrowed this book for black Americans, and I read it anyway, it was quite interesting, and it was said that, you know, in America, the black American community has the highest rate of prison inca uh, incarcerations than all the other races. They have the highest level of teenage pregnancies the lowest level of literacy, the highest level of mortality through violence for young men, and uh, what was that? the highest levels of drug taking. And why was that? Why is it that the black American community is suffering so much? Because of absent fathers. Because so many of these children are raised by single mother families, and the, the fathers are all out doing their own thing. So, many young black men will join a gang because they don't have a father figure. And then many young black women will go off and have sex with young men because they are looking for a surrogate father. So fathers have a very big role to play in the family. So in conclusion, I'm going to leave you with a true story. There was once a child, a teenager in the youth group in our church I was in before. He had a brother in him. And uh, wonderful people, both of them, play soccer. We used to play soccer with them. We used to go to the arcade, play games with them. We used to spend time with them. But then we lost track of them. And one day, my friend was driving through Chinatown. It was a rainy day. And he stopped at the traffic light. And at the traffic light, he saw a young man covered in tattoos. His arms, his leg, his neck. And then as he looked at him a bit closer, because, you know, he was walking... The lights were here, but he was waiting to go the other way. 
he saw him and he recognized him and it was that same boy who was from our youth group who we lost track of. So my friend wound down the windmill and shouted out his name, Hey, it's me, right? And when the guy saw him, he ran off. Now what had happened to this young boy who had been in our church for so long and had come to our youth group? Well, midway through secondary school, his father had left the family. He had run off somewhere with some other woman or something and just left the family high and dry. And uh, as a result of that, that the, the boy had just become a total delinquent. Even though he had gone to a good church, he had good fellowship, good Bible teaching, he had hopefully good Bible study leaders, good youth group leaders, we followed him up, you know, played sport with him, everything. But all of that right, could not overcome uh, the loss of the fatherly influence on his family. So I think that's a really important lesson if, uh, if you're a man here, and I see a few men. If you ever become fathers, it's very important that you take, you got to man up and step up and to really be a good father because you are going to play a bigger role uh, in your children's life than, uh, than you actually realize. Okay, so let me uh, close in prayer now and we're just really going to pray for all of us because all of us have a role to play even if you're, if you're just a young adult with uh, no children but you've still got parents so all of us have a role to play in our family so let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see that our worship of you is not just within these four walls of church but within our relationships. As we live in the Lord, we will do what is right and we will do what is right in our families. If we are children, teach us to obey our parents in everything. Teach us to do what is right, to have an obedient outlook and mentality. Teach us not to mock our parents or to scorn their teaching, but to learn for our benefit, especially if it is from God, your word and how to apply in our lives. If we are children who have grown up to be young adults or older adults, teach us to honour our parents and not to neglect them. Not to be so caught up in our daily lives and our friends and our hobbies and activities and work that we forget our parents and those who brought us up. Help us to, to do what is right by them and taking care of them and honouring them in that way. Dear Father, for those of us who are parents, we pray that you will help us to look after our children well, to care for them, to love them, but most importantly, to train and instruct them and to discipline them in a way that will be for their good and not for their harm. Pray that we will not exasperate or embitter them. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.